Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, hey, good to have you here. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence as we approach episode 400. Going to do something special, give things away, do something. That will be coming up. We're going to talk about today reading body language, other people's body languages, so you can adapt your persuasive message. And in your own body language, specifically your arm movements when you speak, when you're standing, and what arm movements from other people mean about them and if you're connecting, and if you're being persuasive. Good to have you back. Make sure you tell your family, friends, and enemies. Hit like, subscribe. You can find it at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, iTunes, iHeart, and better podcasters near you. You got to say that, right? That's social validation. Just like at better stores near you. I'm like, oh, well, guess I won't go to the worst stores anymore. Anyway... And a shout out, just got an email. In fact, email your thoughts and wishes and what you want to hear on the show. But this one was kudos to the show. I'll take it. We hit number one in Iraq. Okay, we'll take it. We're number one in Iraq. Guess they really needed to learn how to persuade and influence over there. Looks like a lot of it's in the entrepreneurial category, which makes some sense. And that's what's crazy about books and podcasts. You have hot spots. You're big in Brazil, but not so much in... Slovenia, big in Iraq, but maybe not so much in Nigeria. Whatever, just putting the countries out there, but we'll take it. Thanks for that. Keep listening. Send in your comments. Would love to hear how we can help you persuade, motivate, influence, and of course, persuade yourself. Let's start off with the persuasion blunder of the week. Homer? Don't, don't, don't. All right. So over the past month, I've gone to three different nonprofit fundraising events. A, I like to help out. B, I try to make their message more persuasive. C, I try to interview people why they didn't donate. And then D, it's always fun to donate. These are good causes. One was sex trafficking around the world. One was microloans, where you give people small loans in developing countries and it changes their life to start a business. And the other one was clean water. Now, I'm not going to take sides. These are all good causes. These are all things we can change in the world to make the world a better place. But one of them, I'm going to estimate, just talking to the people and talking to the organizers of the events, made probably around 10 times more money than the others. All right, we have good causes. All decent presentations. All about the same amount of people, but 10 times more What's going on as I analyzed it and looked at my notes, what it came down to was the story. I mean, the microloans was great. A lot of statistics of the 90 plus percent that are paying it back and how it's changing lives. It was good. Good percents. Clean water was about in the middle. Still a lot of data. I had a few pictures, a few testimonials. Pretty good we got pictures. Makes it a little more visual. You can see where your money's going. That's important. Testimonials, a little social validation, but man, it was the sex trafficking that rocked it. Ten times more money. And they did have testimonials, they had pictures, 
video clips of a story, break your heart, everyone crying, changing lives, boom. The shortest point between two people is a story. Whether it's a personal story between them or the story about what you are doing, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're passionate about it, is always more persuasive. Every time, 10 times more persuasive. And you know that. I've talked about it. My studies show that. We know that. But 10 times more money for three great causes. And so I don't know if I call them blunders. They just did pretty well. They did raise money. I mean, but 10 times more. So don't be a blunder. Find your story. Tell your story. Remember, stories persuade without detection. When I was doing research for the perfect persuasive presentation, stories is the key to connecting, to trust, to persuasion, you name it, it's very, very important. Oh, and by the way, I need a few beta testers for the new program, The Perfect Persuasive Presentation. Send me an email, kurt at maximizeyourinfluence.com or go to maximizeyourinfluence.com. Click on the contact us, find out more about the coaching, the free book, the new edition of Maximum Influence. It's free. Pick up a little shipping and handling and of course, take your free persuasion IQ assessment. Everything you need to know is right there to become more persuasive. And it's also the home of Influence University. All right, our plug is out of the way. That is the blunder. And some of you are like, well, I don't like stories. That's true. There's a, I'm estimating around 10% of the population doesn't like a story. But if the other 90% do, you probably have a story ready to roll and read them. Are they a statistic person, a story person? Generalizing here, but those are things that you can take a look at. And that sets up the geeky scholarly article of the week. And come to us from the University of Oregon, Futurity.org, in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Being nice to others make them more likely to be nice to you. Uh, duh. But I want to add some things to this and go through this. There are some interesting things. It kind of makes sense, right? There's a reciprocity factor there. Bottom line, new research confirms that when you're nice to others, they're going to reciprocate back and be nice to you. Okay, so Parv's like, okay, wait a minute, what's new here? So when two people meet for the first time, they tend to see the other person as having a similar personality to their own. So that's kind of an interesting thing there. Not only being nice, but when we meet them, we assume what's called a consensus bias that they think and behave and act and are similar to us. I mean, it's just how it is. That's how our brain works. That's why our default setting is we tend to persuade others how they like to be persuaded, which is completely wrong. We have to adapt to them. So our default instinct here is like, oh, they are like us. They're not. So a friendly and sociable person will tend to see others as friendly and sociable. Someone who is shy and reserved will think that the other person is shy and reserved and has those same characteristics. Another name for this too is the assumed similarity effect. Everybody has a name for it. <laughs> okay. So psychologists have theorized that people use their own personalities to fill in the blanks with someone they don't know very well. So we can see things, we can judge things, but the rest we fill in the blanks with, oh, they must be like me because everyone likes me or everyone thinks like me. So your view of that person is based on your personality because that's what you bring out of them. And let me add, that's what you are looking for based in your judgment and probably the questions that you ask. See, people tend to reciprocate each other's behavior. So when they act friendly and sociable, they do the same type of thing. And we've talked about that before, kind of the similarity effect with people. And so we kind of influence each other when we interact. We bring out the behaviors in the other person that are similar to us or a little more predictable. Or in other words, what we're looking for. So they feel that the 
personality flows through interpersonal interactions from who a person is to how they act to how others respond to them. Bottom line, simplify that. Your view, what you see, what you remember in people when you meet them for the first time is based on your own personality because you bring it out in them. That's what you're looking for. And it generalizes around the questions that you ask. And there's a lot of truth to this. I remember a Harvard study on negotiation that if you start off nice and trustworthy and open, that increases your chances of a successful negotiation by 4%. Not a lot. But if every tool you add adds 4%, do the math after a while, it's going to pay out big. And so there's the negative side to this. There's negative reciprocity. When you're indifferent, they could come across as indifferent. When someone cuts them off, you want to cut them off. When you start off mean, they could come across as mean. So that's the power of reciprocity, which is one of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influence. In fact, let me add to that the tool here, reciprocal concessions. That's part of reciprocity too, that if you're trying to persuade someone and they're holding on tight, let them persuade you on a few things that you don't care about, now they're more open for you to persuade them on a few things. Because if you come across as more persuasive, easy to persuade, they're going to open up a little. They're going to let down their guard. In negotiation, if there's a standstill, give up a concession you don't care about, and they'll be more open to reciprocate giving a concession back. Just saying, that first impression, that first 30 seconds, that cement dries fast. Make sure you do it the right way. Now, can you fix a first impression? Sure, but... I think most of the time it's not worth the effort and it takes a lot longer than 30 seconds. And now it's time for listener email. Oh boy. Joe from Canada doesn't say which province, but it says, Hey, number one, thanks for the program and teach me how to be more persuasive in my presentations. Hey Joe, you're welcome. And everyone else, I'll put it on special at maximizeyourinfluence.com. This is how you present with power. Quit informing, but be influential. Quit presenting, be persuasive. It does the whole package from structure to nonverbals to the close. So as I'm working on my persuasive presentation, I'm working on what you call distracting mannerisms. It seems to be working well. I'm connecting with more people. I'm persuading more. It says, but sometimes my arms feel a little awkward. I want to do some of the things that you mentioned aren't that persuasive. And let me add here, Joe, that, you know, anything you start doing for the first time is going to feel a little awkward, just whether you golf, you sing, you play an instrument. Same thing's true with your speaking skills. He says, I came across this article on this website. I want to send it to you because they talk about arms and arm movements. I want your thoughts as it pertains to speaking and being persuasive and talking to people one-on-one and even in a group. Please help. All right. So, Joe... Since you are the email of the podcast, you get the free version, the gold version, for free of InfluenceUniversity.com. We will get that emailed out to you, but let's take a look at this article. Looks like it's from Vanessa Van Edwards and scienceofpeople.com. And we will put that link onto the website. You could check it out yourself. The title is Body Language Guide. Crossed arms and more cues to know. So this is just about the arms. I mean, we've, there's other body language. There's facial expressions. There's your legs. I mean, there's a lot of different things here. But arms are kind of prevalent. And it's interesting as I've trained public speakers and CEOs and politicians is that the arms, what do we do with these? Because a lot of times we want to cover up our chest or we do the fig leaf. Use your imagination. 
And that's something that doesn't come across as very confident, but it's very universal around the world that we cover ourselves. We're protecting our organs. And there's a time and place in this. You'll see comedians do this and news anchors, and they don't need to connect. It really doesn't matter. But I'm talking about the perfect persuasive presentation. And the article says that arms are like the conductor of an orchestra, right? Meaning different things, telling people different things about what's going on. But it looks like they talking about how to read arms. So I'm saying in public speaking, having gestures that don't go above your shoulder, that can make people tense, is an awesome thing. But when you gesture, go back to neutral down to your sides. Don't hold them over your chest. It's like folding your arms or do the fig leaf. Bring them down. Practice yourself doing that. When you're talking to somebody one-on-one, you don't want to have the big, big gestures you would when you speak, but you don't want to be making fists. You don't want to be closed off, but you open your arms. Be more open with your gestures so you're open, you're friendly, you're not closed off. So let's see what they say about those. Those are different. So one-on-one, you know, sitting down, doing a Zoom, speaking to a group. There's some different things we can talk about. Now they talk about there's a couple different things. There's expansive scale how far you extend from your body. And then there's the, what they call the flow meter, the flow of your arm movements. And I've loved this study. I've seen it before. It's really interesting about body language. It's from physiological science, but poker players, right? These are the people that are wearing the eyeglasses, try not to reveal their tells, not let people read them. Interesting study. So they were playing poker and they were observing the gestures and participants were looking at the hands of the other players. Was it bluffing? Was it a good hand? And it was better than guessing when they looked at one thing. So the poker players with the good hand moved their arms more smoothly or fluidly. Those that had bad hands and were bluffing had these awkward, jumpy, non-smooth, we'll call it, arm movements. And so there was a, a tell there that people didn't realize. So everyone looks to the face, to the eyes, but there's a lot of things happening with the rest of the body. So she talks about crossed arms. We've all heard about this. And there is some truth to this. There is a barrier to this. It's not always true. Sometimes it's comfortable where you can cross your arms. I caught myself doing it today. I was was waiting in the audience. When you do a speaking engagement and they're full, I'm like, oh. So not as much as you think, but it's still there. Crossed arms, crossed feet. Some cultures, crossed feet showing the bottom of the shoe can be very confrontational, very offensive. We have to be very careful here. So people do it to be comfortable, to concentrate. Remember the key with all these. In fact, when I teach Detecting Deception, you go to the archives and listen to that podcast. You're looking for clusters, you know, two or three things that are telling you the same thing. Like with deception, just because they start perspiring doesn't mean they're lying, but they're perspiring, folding their arms, taking up less space, using more vocal fillers, ding, ding, that's a cluster. That's what you're looking for. And studies do show those who cross their arms perform a little better and are a little more persistent. Now, careful on the flip side, reading facial expressions with the arm movements, it could mean that they're angry. And people that are angry tend to fold their arms even higher than someone that's relaxed. Maybe they're getting a little defensive or they're feeling a little nervous, some anxiety. You have to be careful how you read that. It could mean a couple different things. Now, one tip is really good here is that if you are with the prospect and their arms are folded and you're sensing that a uh, little resistance here, maybe there's a little anxiety or judgment, give them something. Hand them a piece of paper or a pen or a laptop. 
a cell phone, a brochure, something to have them uncross their arms, that can make a big difference. And in fact, I even do this in crowds. I'm doing listening training. It's a hostile audience because their boss or their spouse or partner sent them to listening training. They're like, wait a minute, they should be coming. But anyway, get them to raise their hand or write something down. Get them across their arms does make a difference. Oh, she also does talk about the crossed arms. That's what I call the fig leaf. Your arms are just kind of folded lower in your body, protecting yourself. That's why it's called, again, use your imagination on the fig leaf and why it's called that. So it's kind of like the crossed arms, just not quite there. Some people adjusting their shirt or their cufflinks is kind of that same type of position. This could be nervousness. We see this with speaking to people playing with a ring, a bracelet, a necklace, a watch, pulling their fingers, and yeah, you've been taught your whole life not to do that. Think about it. Okay. Maybe fidgeting with the glass. We see this with presenters. Fidgeting it with a marker or chalk or the clicker where you just kind of get stuck. It's still a barrier. It's still there. And again, it's this is human nature, especially in public speaking. Something's in your hand, you're going to play with it. Set down the clicker, set down the marker, be more open with your hands is one way to handle that. So let's see, she mentions in her article that as we get older, this is just our way of disguising crossing our arms. So the one-arm cross she goes into, that's when you have one arm grabbing your bicep, just the one-arm cross, just another variation. She mentioned the article, it's called the one-arm self-hug. I guess you're feeling lonely and you're hugging yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this could be another defensive thing that people do. Just be open. Try to go down. I call it go back down to neutral. This is one thing I work with public speaking students. Go back down to neutral. Hands to your side. Love the gestures. Keep doing them. Just don't come back to a hand cross, to a fig leaf, to a one-arm hug. Come all the way down to neutral. Then gesture again. Then one, this one's an interesting one. One-arm touching. I haven't seen this one too much. I guess you're massaging or scratching your arm, kind of similar to the one-arm crossed. I mean, I can say this is, could be any part of your body when you're scratching, itching, doing the same thing, repetitive movements. That's the one thing in public speaking that I watch for is repetitive movements. Just because you do it once or twice, no big deal. But if it's constant, touching the hair, playing with the ring, that is the challenge. She says this could be an insecurity, doubt, anxiety, stress, and uncertainty. Her next one is dead arms, and this is when people are awkward, guilty, introverts, not feeling comfortable, anxiety. There's just nothing. There's no movement at all. We do see that. Now, let me just talk about public speaking with this article is that you do want the gestures. You want to be open, have a few gestures. So when there's no movement at all, you don't move even your legs at all. That's kind of awkward for your audience. One that's mentioned in this article is victory arms. And we've talked about this. Dr. Cuddy from Harvard talks about this, the victory pose, arms in the air. She says it releases chemicals in our body. We feel more confident. We feel better. Try it out right now if no one's watching. That is a great one. You know, I think that's great when you're by yourself or with the team that just won. I wouldn't do that while I'm speaking. <laughs> I mean, you guys could have your whole audience do that because sometimes we raise our arms too high. It makes your audience nervous in the front row because sometimes that could be a, an act of violence, just putting it out there. So yeah, I'm not seeing that in a public setting. 
But if you see other people do it, you know they're feeling victorious and confident and they want to be the center of attention. Then there's the arms behind the head, which is a sign of confidence. I'm superior. I'm the boss. I'm exposing myself and chest and my neck. You can't hurt me. It comes back from our caveman brain. So I'd be careful. You know, when you're reading it and you're talking to them, you know they're feeling confident around you that they're superior. If you're trying to connect and persuade them, I would be careful of that one. Of course, that's the one you would never use in public speaking. Let me give you a final one called high elbows. Most of the stuff here, it added the public speaking element to it. Arm movement, when you see it, some are appropriate, some not, depends. But hey, don't just read their face, read their arms, read their whole body. It makes a huge difference. So high elbows shows up, say, maybe at a table, people's elbows resting wide shows that they're relaxed, they're confident, they're feeling good. They're not really aware that they're displaying at their table. We know that they don't listen to their mothers. Get your elbows off the table. <laughs> I don't know why that was such a bad rule. Maybe the elbows are dirty or something. But when people do that, they're feeling confident. And that's a great thing. When you're one-on-one -on -one across the desk, that could be a good thing. And there's no correlation here that I'm seeing with public speaking. But this can be used when you're at a table or negotiation with someone. So, hey, good information, Joe. Thanks for sending that out to me. Check out the link. It makes a huge difference. But remember, we're drawing the line between the standing up public versus the one-on-one -on -one or sitting down at a table. So thanks for listening. Be more aware of yourself, of other people. Don't be so concerned to vomit everything you want to say. Read the person. Adapt your presentation. That's what makes the difference. So all the information you need to maximize your influence.com, especially the discount on persuasive presentations. Understanding your body language, reading other people will help you in the negotiation, will help you connect with people, help build trust, and pretty much guarantees you'll go out and persuade with power.